Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the game. World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We are here every match day of the World Cup, podcasting after 10 o'clock UK time every night. In the studio with me, Giles Smith is back. He can't get enough of this tournament. We'll be chatting about some of the punditry highlights off the pitch with Giles later. Matt Dickinson is in Nizhny Novgorod ahead of England's clash with Panama on Sunday lunchtime. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello. We're with you in just a moment. Uh, we're also going to be joined by Martin Ziegler for his report on England's Group G rivals Belgium as they thrash Tunisia to reach the knockout stages. Mexico are on the brink of reaching the last 16 for the seventh World Cup in a row after their victory over South Korea in Rostov, a result that sends South Korea home. Later on, we'll be speaking to a man who's been to Syria and back and this week spent 24 hours on a train with England fans. That's the Times photographer, Jack Hill. But there is only one place to start. The holders, Germany, were on the brink of World Cup elimination, but an incredible 95th minute free kick from Tony Cruz keeps their hopes alive. The world champions were down to 10 men in Sochi after Jerome Boateng's red card, but still found a way to rescue themselves and secure three points to leave Group F with three teams fighting it out for the top two spots. It was that late goal from Tony Cruz that changed everything. And now Germany will progress to the last 16 if they beat South Korea. Matt, I don't even know where to start with this one, but very much a case, I guess, of just do not write the Germans off. No, absolutely. And and I guess, ultimately, you know, it's a class player pulling off a, a class free kick. That That's the key thing. It's not, you know, it's not a fluke. Um, they they had to sweat for it. They were in all kinds of trauma, down to 10 men, as you say. Um, but, you know, that <laughs> that's why they're Germany. They keep producing top class players and they produce a player who can pull off uh, a free kick like that in, in the dying seconds. And that was spectacular. And I... I think we're in that um, funny moment where, uh, as Englishmen, we're actually saying, you know, fair play to the Germans. We've envied envied them enough. Uh, I guess there was possibly um, a degree of, um, well, the German word schadenfreude as we were watching them. But when when you see skill executed like that, you just have to say, wow, uh, and and applaud brilliant skill. And I think it just contributed to what's been, to me, um, an absolutely fantastic start to this World Cup. Yeah, Giles, how was that then for drama this prime time Saturday? Oh, it's just great, wasn't it? I mean, um, 
if there's something about those last five minutes it just sort of built and built and you never stop thinking that actually something more could happen I mean either way a, a German goal or actually a Swedish goal um, because they looked like they might score on the break a couple of times but um, no it was a fantastic piece of television it certainly was and a lot of people just simply going wow as you already said Matt um, did they deserve the victory do you think? Well, I mean, I'm sure some of them roll out the stats, which I'm sure will be pretty colossal. I mean, you know, I mean, Sweden, you know, did did what they would have hoped to do, which was was you know frustrating. They had a couple of um, chances beyond the goal, which were I mean executed absolutely superbly. I'm sure that um, sort of was it a penalty first half decision will be replayed a million times um, in Stockholm and beyond. Um, but, you know, of course, Germany absolutely dominated. On the one hand, they were a team that was on the brink of going out. On the other, they did not look like, you know, we've, we've got Patrick Vieira as a columnist, and he talks about, you know, the 2002 World Cup. They turned up as champions and basically were a bit of a mess. You know, they had injuries. They had lost their focus. They had lost their hunger. And I, I haven't actually sensed that with Germany. I mean, they clearly they lost to Mexico, and they looked a bit chaotic in terms of formation. But... You watch them tonight, and even when they were, you know, losing and in danger of going out, they didn't strike me as a team that, you know, okay, let's just write them off. This is a team that have lost their way completely, or a team that aren't playing for the manager, or you know, he's lost the dressing room. They, if they clearly got issues, but I, you know, and and their intensity dropped at times, but I, I didn't ever feel like, yeah. You know, they, they're, they're sort of, yeah, they've, they've lost themselves. Um, I don't think they'll go on and win it, um, which is a, probably a rash thing to say. Um, extreme, extremely rash thing to say, given the evidence. Um, but, I, you know, I, they, they've got enough quality about them and, and just enough, yeah, enough zip about them that, uh, I, you know, that having won that, they're, they're, you, you put a lot of money on them getting through to the knockout stages and then, we all know what they're capable of thereafter. You, you mentioned that possible penalty. What did you make of it, Matt? Uh, I've watched it 20 times now. And I, I mean, I, you know, you, you, are, you end up scrutinizing it sort of 15 times to think. I, I've gone to my head. I think it probably wasn't just a penalty. But, you know, how long a delay do we have to be sure of that? So I, I, I think it probably was just. But I understand why there was a bit of a sort of fudge among the officials on that. Joachim Love made a couple of changes for this match. Meza Ozil was dropped in favour of Marco Royce, one of the goal scorers. Um, what do you make of that decision, in particular on the decision to drop Ozil? I could understand it. I mean, I think they needed they needed more um, urgency about them. I, I didn't think, uh, you know, there, there, there was a lot of issues and I thought it was actually more of a overall strategy problem with that first game but you know he he, he was part of the problem you know him and Kadir I could, I could understand why he made those changes but the funny thing is to see a German team that's sort of groping for uh, the, the right solution at this point I think I guess we're so used to especially with a manager who's been or a coach who's been there for a while that, that you would think that they would have a have a plan um, and it'd be a settled one I mean you know comparing it just to England such a very different stages of development but to come to a tournament and to start sort of casting around um, for your ideal formula is an odd one for them. 
Giles, Ozil really does divide opinion in the Premier League amongst supporters. Um, where do you stand on him? He's a real puzzle, isn't he? Um, I noticed that uh, Mario Basler, the ex-German player, um, said after the first game that he had he thought Ozil had the body language of a dead frog, um, which is pretty scathing. Um, but he is one of those players who, you know, will tend to get judged by what he looks like when he's not doing things, strangely. You know, how he is on the pitch, the body language thing. Um, and I know he frustrates Arsenal fans enormously. And yet he's capable, obviously, of, you know, immense things and, and can brighten up a game like um, like no dead frog ever has. Um, so to drop him and then not miss him, as they didn't, and still win, as they did, um, says probably rather ominous things about the strength of that German squad. <laughs> England's second group game gets underway Sunday lunchtime when they face Panama next. Uh, Deli Ali, we fully expect, will sit out the Panama game. He joined up with his England teammates for training earlier but then had to withdraw. Uh, Matt, was that precautionary or uh, more worrying than that? No, I think, I think that um, he picked it up obviously quite early in that uh, Tunisia game. You know, He managed to sort of soldier on, but I, I, I just don't think there's any point in risking... You know, someone who should be a key player for England. So, yeah, I, I'd be amazed if he, you know, has any involvement. It doesn't make sense. You know, there is a like-for-like like in in Loftus-Cheek, who is obviously a very, you know, different stage of development, but um, the coaches have a great faith in, and, uh, I, you know, I'm really interested to see him given a chance. And we had a panel with Roy Hodgson just before the World Cup, and Roy was talking, you know, bearing in mind Roy has worked with some absolutely top-class players, and he talked about Loftus Sheik developing into the best midfield player he's ever worked with, which was, you know, high praise indeed, and, and then he's a, an interesting player because he's he's got so much range. I think the one thing that we just need to see him do is assert himself. You know, he's a huge physical presence, he's got soft touch, he can pass, he can stride with the ball, he can protect the ball. He's got all the gifts, and I just think there is a real wish among the staff, coaching staff, to see him, to say, assert himself. Um, and that's that's one of the fascinations for me tomorrow. Yeah, Giles, we know you're a Chelsea fan, and, and Loftus Cheek. Well, he's never really been given a chance there, has he? No, he hasn't played very frequently. Um, even so, people love him. Um, just on the glimpses that we've had, and and it has felt very frustrating that he's not had more opportunities and more minutes on the pitch. And I just hope he comes back and and gets that next year because the idea of him being farmed out for yet another year and playing somewhere else is is a sort of depressing one, especially and generally with Chelsea, that sense that there are a lot of very talented players in the mould of, you know, Loftus-Cheek or or at least, you know, players who've come through and then you've suddenly lost sight of them and they've gone somewhere else and, and that's it. And if, if, it, if that particular trend ended with him, it would be very pleasing. There's that chap Ross Barkley you've got there as well. Remember him? He used to be the future of English football once a long yeah. time ago. It's, um, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, a couple of years ago we'd have been talking about Barkley being in and, and, and fitting seamlessly into that position. Um, so, it's, yeah, again, that just adds another layer of intrigue to what happens well tomorrow and, it, as Charles says, into the Chelsea season ahead. Um, England have had to deal with, what, mosquitoes and midges and flies. It seems now the heat uh, could be an issue in Nizhny Novgorod. Uh, we expect it to, what, be 31 degrees on Sunday? How much of a concern is that, Matt? 
I, it's warm here. There's no doubt you've stepped off the plane and it was, you know, one of those flights you get off and it's like, ooh, uh, well, that's, you know, we've come from um, Repino, um, which was, you know, which has been sort of quite middling in temperatures. And, yeah, you sort of one of those flights you get off and suddenly people start shedding jackets and wishing they're in shorts. And um, obviously, I, you know, I, I do my research and I made sure I was, you know, perfectly attired um, to step off in my aero kit and uh, <laughs> and my shorts. Not a problem. But it definitely is going to be hot. It's, you know, the idea that we have a, a sort of full press for 90 minutes isn't going to work. They're going to have to show a bit of, intelligence in terms of you know managing resources I, I, I mean ultimately they're going to want to just get ahead Panama offer as far as everything suggests little goal punch so it's one of those games where you just need to get ahead to try and soothe the nerves and not be chasing goals you know come 60 70 80 minutes well England know that victory will take them through Matt and with Southgate talking up the display against Tunisia there is a fair amount of pressure on England isn't there well, it's only expectation. I mean, it's, you know, Panama are, you know, as as this World Cup goes, pretty much sort of written off as, you know, here for the ride. And that's that's not to insult them. That's just the facts of resources and rankings and, and the form that we've seen. I mean, you know, they are, as they showed against Belgium, they are more than capable of being hugely dogged. They're robust. They will sit back and basically challenge England to break them down. And... That's a challenge that, you know, we've, we've talked at some length about England's lack of goals beyond Harry Kane. It's become a bit of a theme and a talking point because the stats don't lie. Other players around Harry Kane are not contributing enough. Um, and that's one of the issues still that's being debated about selection. You know, there was the famous, or shall we say infamous, leaked team sheet which had Rashford in it. There's actually a lot of thought that Sterling might yet hold his place potency in front of goal is is basically going to be the key issue of this game you know can they score that first goal that soothes the nerves and then be and, and then you know settle this game early without it becoming an uncomfortable ride that's that's the test simple as that you mentioned what we're going to call team sheet gate uh did Southgate hold out a bit of an olive branch earlier to the media map he did uh, you know I, I was slightly surprised by his sort of the, 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 you know he, he did not sort of call on a fight yesterday, but there was just that one comment about, you know, the media's got to decide are they sort of, are they here to help or not, which I thought was slightly clumsy. I mean, that, that's not a dilemma that, you know, we we sort of wrestle over or should ever wrestle over our jobs to, to do our job. And, and he, I think, very shrewdly, very typically, characteristically, you know, just killed the issue today and just said, look, you know, the, the, the media are there to do their job, which is report on the team. If they get that sort of information, you know, it would be sort of naive to expect that it wouldn't be reported. It was a slip-up by Steve Holland, simple as that. And it, it's just another sign of, of Gareth Southgate. He actually even apologised and said, look, you know, if the guys, media guys are getting a hard time on social media, which I can personally vouch is the case, um, that uh, even apologised for that. So it was, I mean, Gareth Southgate is, I mean, we keep using the phrase because it's justified, he is the grown-up in the room of English football. I mean, whether he turns out to be a, a good England coach, better than a good England coach, you know, there's an awful lot to be seen. But in terms of common sense approach, in terms of sort of turning down the volume on 
a lot of the madness we've seen around England in terms of trying to make us address the real issues and you know think about you know stuff like football rather than all the extraneous issues. He is about the best breath of fresh air we've we've had in, in well certainly in my experience. Charles, just want to get your opinion then on this uh, team sheet and the, being published by, by the media. What did you make of it all? I have no problem at all with it being published. And I think if you wander around an open training session with an open notebook, then um, you get what's coming. But um, I, the, the theory I love is the one that actually it's all some magnificent double bluff, um, that the team sheet actually that isn't the team at all, but that... Um, Southgate's put that out there to sow confusion in Panama. So I think if that, uh, if it was Jose Mourinho we were talking about rather than Gareth Southgate, that, that, that theory would be getting a lot more mileage than it's getting. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Sunday's games on Talk Sport. It starts with England taking on Panama at 1 o'clock on Talk Sport, Japan versus Senegal at 4 on Talk Sport 2, and the clash between Poland and Colombia live from 7 o'clock on Talk Sport. Belgium, it seems, are living up to expectations after their second straight win as they thrashed Tunisia 5-2 in Moscow. Martin Ziegler joins us now from the Russian capital, having witnessed the highest scoring game of this World Cup. And you yourself said at times, Martin, Belgium looks spectacular. Yeah, I thought they were absolutely superb. I mean, part of, part of the, the, the fact they had so much space was that Tunisia had to go for the win. They had to be positive. That left space for... Hazard and Lukaku to, to run into and, and the other you know, exciting attacking players that Belgium have got. So it probably sort of flattered Belgium somewhat to get five goals, but it was a really impressive performance. Yeah, it was. And uh, you actually tipped Belgium to get to the final, is that right? Yeah, so with the Times had a, 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 a prediction um, competition on their, their, on their website and uh, I went through it fairly quickly just trying to rely on instinct and actually I had a a Spain-Belgium final so um, yeah it's all 
it all looks like things are unfolding for me on that front anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, looking good for you so far then. Uh, it was another brace from Romelu Lukaku and, and for those of you keeping track of the race for the golden boot, he and Cristiano Ronaldo are both level at the top of the charts now with four goals from two games. But Martin, how did he look to you out there? So he looked, I mean, you know, he, he had two chances, took them both. I mean, he's got a fantastic touch for somebody who's so big and strong, um, especially the second goal, just dinking it over the keeper. It was really, really good. But he did pick up an injury. Um, he's got an ankle ligament problem. I don't think he'll play against England. Uh, Roberto Martinez said in the, the post-match press conference that he, he was going to make some major changes. Um, and I, I, it probably looks to me as though Lukaku um, will be rested, which obviously can affect his, his Golden Boot campaign. Um, and I, I guess England will probably be pretty relieved they're not going to face him. They scored five goals, though. Could have been more, couldn't it? Mishi Bashuai came off the bench to score one. But before that, did we see the miss of the tournament so far from him? I mean, it's just... It was incredible. He had, he had three absolutely guilt-edged chances and he didn't take a single one of them. Um, I mean, I actually, I actually think he's a really good player and gets into good positions. It just needs to be that little bit cooler. Um, and I mean, yes, he did get one, but I mean, by that time, Belgium could have been, it could have been 8-1 uh, um, by that time. It was an absolutely incredible passage to play. The fact that he, you know, he hit the crossbar, couple of good saves and then a glaring miss as well. Take you back to uh, England's victory over Tunisia. They were feeling pretty good after what ended up being that last gasp win. But after what we saw today, did England actually make, I suppose, harder work of Tunisia than they should have done? Well, you can, in some ways, yes. I mean, we missed a lot of good chances. And, and one thing that Belgium showed is that you've got to be clinical. Lukaku was clinical. England weren't. You know, Lingard had some good opportunities, and they were they were they were wasted. So you've got to be clinical. That's one lesson. But the other thing, you know, I asked the Tunisia coach about this afterwards. He said, "Well, you know, we had to go for the win. You know, that left spaces for Belgium to counterattack. They didn't have to do that against England." So I said, I'm not quite sure you could compare the two and say, um, "Yes, okay, um, you know, Belgium." It was a different sort of match because Belgium had it slightly easier in terms of attacking and space and creativity because against England, Tunisia are much more sort of much more of a cohesive defensive structure. It is so far so good though for Roberto Martinez's men. They are the joint highest scoring team in the competition. It's eight goals now uh, along with Russia. Plenty for other teams in the competition to fear then. Yeah, I mean, you can see some of the, you know, lots of the, lots of the favourites have been struggling. Um, you know, Germany struggling. I mean, um, seen, um, Brazil not having the greatest start. Argentina obviously a disaster. So this is the World Cup where sort of the form book has gone out the window. So in certain terms, of the expected form book. So um, Belgium, however, have taken everything in their stride. They've um, been patient. They've stuck to their guns. Three, three goals in their first match, five in their second. I think they're looking really impressive. The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We're going to be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by Times statistician Bill Edgar. Last time out, we asked you in which year was the last case of two teams contesting a World Cup final having already met earlier in that same tournament? The answer 
1962. Brazil and Czechoslovakia drew nil-nil in a group match, and then Brazil beat the same opponents in the final 3-1. Uh, the only other such instance came in 1954, when Hungary beat West Germany 8-3 in the group phase, before the Germans gained revenge in the final with a 3-2 victory. Our teaser today, which is the sole country to have only ever played one match at a World Cup? That is a tricky one. Tune in to our next podcast to find out the answer. Now we're very fortunate to be joined by an award-winning photographer, a man who's taken his camera to some of the most dangerous places on earth. From the Times, it is Mr Jack Hill. And Jack, this week you took your camera to Volgograd with the England fans after their match with Tunisia. Uh, Tell us what happened. Thank you for the kind introduction. That's very flattering. Uh, As you said, I was in Volgograd following the England team uh, and I had to get from Volgograd up to Nizhny Novgorod, where I am now, ahead of tomorrow's game uh, with a stop in Moscow and saw that trains for fans were being laid on by the Russian railway service uh, and I thought that might be a fun way to travel, having this romantic sense of train journeys, travel through the vast expanse of Russia uh, and also as a way of getting from A to B and hopefully shooting some photos on the way. It was a 24-hour train to Moscow, is that right? So it was 24 hours, and uh, to be honest, uh, I was, <laughs> the days leading up to it, I was slightly dreading it. Uh, sort of not least of all because how, how I was going to keep myself entertained for that amount of time. Uh, and it dawned on me what I was going to do with all my equipment, and that because we are going to be in first, I was going to be with strangers. wasn't sure how that was going to pan out, but very quickly uh, it became apparent that the guys in our cabin uh, were, were decent guys, uh, and I felt comfortable leaving my locked bags under the seat and uh, decided quite quickly that I was going to crack on the taking pictures moving up and down the train. And you can see those pictures at thetimes.co.uk. As a photographer, Jack, what is it you're looking to capture? Well, I guess. I mean, I, I, I didn't really have any preconceived ideas beyond train journey, people, countryside. I mean, just just shoot what I see. I mean, that's the sort of way I prefer to work. I was just saying, yeah, you do sort of create a shot list in your head of things you need to sort of tell a story. But I'd, I'd move up and down and I'd, I'd talk to different people and I'd shoot anything that caught my eye, really. Uh, through the buffet car, England fans. It's a wonderful scene of a sort of guessing husband reading poetry to his wife while other relatives were... One was sleeping and the other one was eating out of jars. You know, so this is a proper family journey in their cabin and uh, people having a sing-song in a bar. It was all very atmospheric. I mean, it was, just, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really entertaining. And people were really friendly. And I was just slightly apprehensive how people would be with a photographer moving up and down. But it was, it was almost sort of part of the show, as it were. Yeah. I mean, England fans do carry a certain reputation when travelling. Did it get a bit lively when you were trapped in a carriage with them for 24 hours? Well, as, as has been commented on, uh, the England fans have been, have been really low-key. You know, the, 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 the smaller numbers of them have been really low-key. And they were in the bar, and they were having a few drinks, some of them, but then there's an equal number of Russians and Tunisians, and they all seem to be, sort of be getting on really well. The long journeys across Russia are becoming something of a theme on this podcast. Just try and describe to our listeners just how vast Russia is. Right, well, we, we, we were essentially travelling uh, northwest. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty flat agricultural land most of the way. Uh, not particularly varied, but you think if you travel, if you, if you look at it on a map, you, you've travelled for 24 hours. I mean, it was a slow train. 
it's, it's, it's essentially a thousand miles. Yeah, that's John of Gross, the Land's End, and somewhere in the Atlantic. And in Russia, you've barely touched any of the distance. Uh, I'm currently in Nizhny Novgorod, which is four and a half hours away from Moscow east on the fast train. It would almost be London to Berwick. Uh, and, you know, we're a fraction into Russia uh, to look at it on, to, on a map. You know, you think from Moscow to Vladivostok, you're looking at a nine-hour flight. And it takes, you know, it takes the best part of a week by train to, to put that into context. And you mentioned you're in Nizhny Novgorod. Presumably, you're on England duty then. Yeah, you know, looking for England fans, talk to them, just get, getting getting a flavour of the atmosphere and, and of the city. It's a wonderful city. And again, there's a good atmosphere in town, but very few England fans are seen about. You know, I've heard uh, it's going to be another low turnout for, for, for the, from the fans. So we'll see. There seems to be lots of uh, Panamanian fans uh, and still some Croatians and Argentinians lingering on after their game the other day. Elsewhere today in Group F, South Korea were sent home, losing 2-1 to Mexico in Rostov. The Mexicans are on the verge of progressing to the last 16 for the seventh consecutive World Cup. Looking ahead once again to Sunday's games in Group H, Japan and Senegal both started their campaigns with victories, so the winner of that clash looks certain to book their place into the next round. The two sides who lost to Senegal and Japan face each other in Kazan, where Poland meet Colombia. Now, Giles, before we go, we've seen some uh, new additions to the punditry circuit on BBC and ITV since we last spoke. Pablo Zavaleta debuted for the BBC in their coverage of Argentina versus uh, Croatia. What a game for him to make his debut on. Yeah, it felt very sorry for him. Poor old Pablo, he descends. And um, I think the plot was that that was the point at which Argentina were going to pick things up and it was all going to come good. And of course, um, he walked straight into a kind of moment of national crisis. But I thought he was fantastic. He's been good since. Um, Just really sort of open and solid and thoughtful and on that particular occasion you know he didn't cry which was um big and he didn't walk out which would have been understandable if he had um he's great he's a really good addition i think uh, and speaking of that defeat to croatia an argentinian sports channel this was fascinating to me went to quite the extreme to show their disappointment at their loss yep they held a minute silence um for argentinian football uh, there were six of them in the studio, I think, the presenter and, and a bunch of pundits, and they all stood, as you must, for minutes of silence. They stood behind their desks. Um, they had their hands in, sort of in front of them, held, clasped, and, uh, and, and simply stood in silence. And the camera, it was very funny, the camera sort of panned very slowly very dramatically and, <laughs> uh, and it was great and I you know I mean I don't wish this on England but it would be a, a good a good thing perhaps to see instituted here or perhaps you know alternatively if, if England do well we could have a minute of a, appreciation um, <laughs> now, how would we do this minute of appreciation applause applause or? yeah everyone could just stand and hip hip hooray just constantly it would make a difference no but it was a fantastic <laughs> gesture um, and they all kept a straight face but um, you had to think that um, someone somewhere was giggling very loudly about it <laughs> very much so um let's get back onto the tv panels we've seen the republic of ireland manager martin o'neill feature more prominently for itv and he's certainly keeping uh, his fellow pundits and us entertained yes it's good to see him um you know get get some more airtime and just gobsmacking to see him make roy Keane laugh which uh, <laughs> surely isn't part of Roy Keane's job description at all. I'm sure he's very disappointed with himself and letting himself down like that and laughing at Martin O'Neill. But Martin O'Neill just is sort of box office. He's really tremendous entertainment. 
and he's an anecdotalist, which actually you realise there aren't many of those um, in that particular job. He tells great stories, and he tells them at great length as well, which is perhaps a bit worrying for the ITV producers who don't have great length to offer him. He spent a lot of time the other afternoon explaining how when he made his international debut for Northern Ireland in 1973, it was against Portugal, and he was very keen to get Eusebio's shirt after the match. Eusebio was his big hero, understandably, and um, but the shirt had gone, so therefore Eusebio gave him his shorts, and apparently Martin O'Neill retains these shorts and still wears them on the <laughs> beach on holidays. Um, all of this took quite a long time in the telling, but it was worth hearing. Um, he's a fantastic pundit, I think, um, and one with a great history, too, of... of uh, you know, he's, he's the man who took down Robbie Williams in 1998, France 98, in the, the BBC's loft in Paris. They had Robbie Williams in as a guest, and Martin O'Neill basically talked to him for a long time about how well he'd done, considering he wasn't very talented, <laughs> and he couldn't play anything, couldn't really sing. Um, Robbie Williams took it very well. Martin O'Neill did admit that he liked Angels, um, so I guess that was the, the so consolation. Some yeah, well, some positivity. <laughs> Uh, you've also been across some international punditry news uh, concerning uh, the World Cup winner Carlos Puyol. What's happened with him? Yes, an Iranian station booked Puyol. Um, they they flew him out to do some punditry for them, and the, but he never got to appear in front of the cameras. And, and the, f- the feeler is that um, it was a problem with his hair, that he simply had too much of it. Uh, they're not fond of hair on Iranian television. And so they packed him off again without so much as an appearance. It was kind of odd, really, because you think that, you know, Poyle made a career of looking like King Charles II. Um, and that's kind of that's what you get, surely, if you if you if you if you go for him. But I don't know whether they were expecting him to put it in a bun or something. Um, <laughs> it it didn't work out. Top it would have not. been lovely. Yeah, top knot. Yeah. Uh, lastly. Will England v Panama pull in the punters on TV to the tune of 21 million as we had for the Tunisia game, do you think? Uh, I think that's a tricky question because, you know, the the first game obviously was on a Monday evening at seven, um, which is pretty much the ideal time, everybody coming home. It was the first match, so everyone was pretty up for it. Panama, not such a big draw, perhaps in certainly in the neutral's mind. There's also perhaps you know, wisely or not, a slight feeling of complacency about it. I mean, there's no jeopardy yet around England, so that's not drawing people in. And it's a Sunday lunchtime, a big one for the pubs. But whether we'd see those kind of Morecambe and Wise Christmas show style figures that the first game uh, got, I'm just not sure. Uh, That is it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Giles Smith, Matt Dickinson, Jack Hill and Martin Ziegler. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. For a limited time only, it is just a pound a month for your first three months. Search The Times sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. We'll be back on Sunday night after England looked to join Belgium in the last 16 with victory over Paris. See you then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. 
so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 